Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. In keeping with the Advent season, we will once again reflect on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 as we read the verses 1 to 15. Let us hear the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God, and the text for the sermon today is taken from this same passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. These words, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. May the Lord bless and apply the reading and preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, there are many sayings in the English language that express important and valuable truths. I think, for example, of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, or a chain is only as strong as its weakest link or a stitch in time saves nine, or actions speak louder than words. 
Each of these sayings contains a kernel of wisdom, and we would be well advised to pay heed to them. But there is one saying that supersedes them all. It is a saying about the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier we read from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 15, Paul makes reference to this saying. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. In this verse, we have the message of Christmas in a nutshell. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it's to this verse that we turn our attention with God's help today. Our theme is a faithful saying concerning the coming of Christ. And we'll consider, first of all, the deep humiliation in this coming, and secondly, the gracious purpose of this coming. The words of our text constitute what the Apostle Paul calls a faithful, or we could say reliable, saying. Paul uses that expression several times in his letters. Two more times in this epistle, once in chapter 3, verse 1, and again in chapter 4, verse 9, and once in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, and again in Titus 3, verse 8. And we have the same expression here in our text. This is a faithful saying, Paul says. Now, what's the origin of this saying? Well, it doesn't come from Scripture. It expresses a scriptural truth, to be sure, but these exact words cannot be found anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere does the Bible ever say, in so many words, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So where does Paul get this from? Well, he's giving here a man-made summary of the teaching of Scripture, a kind of a mini-creed or confession that was widely accepted by the church at that time. The first part of this statement expresses an important biblical truth. Christ Jesus came into the world. This is simply another way of speaking about his incarnation. In the incarnation, Christ Jesus came into the world in human form. Now, how did that take place? Well, we read about that in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And there we read that when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he told her that she would give birth to a son. And when Mary asked how this could be, Gabriel replied, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. So we learn here that Mary would conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this is how Christ came into the world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and eventually born of the Virgin Mary. We read of that in Luke chapter 2. There we read how Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem in order to be taxed. And while they were there, Mary gave birth to the Lord Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there's much we could say about Christ's coming into the world. 
It was a great wonder. It was a great act of love. It was a demonstration of great power and wisdom. But above all these things, it was a deep humiliation. Let me give just five ways in which the coming of Christ into the world was for him a deep humiliation. First of all, it was a deep humiliation in light of where he came from and where he went to. So where did Christ come from? Well, he came from heaven, from the dwelling place of God. Christ did not come into existence at some point before the first day of creation. He certainly did not come into existence when he was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. As the second person of the Holy Trinity, he existed from all eternity and will exist to all eternity. His dwelling place was in heaven with the Father, in the bosom of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was there and the unfallen angels and the saints who went on before us. This is where Christ came from. Now, where did he go to? Well, he went to the world. Now, the word world has many different meanings in Scripture. It can mean the earth. It can refer to the human inhabitants of the earth. It can refer to the general public or men from every tongue and tribe and nation, both Jew and Gentile. But here it refers to the world in its fallen state. Mankind, which is in a state of opposition and enmity against God. It is into this world that Christ came, a world that hated him, a world that opposed him, a world that was full of enmity against him. And this is a wonder in itself. Most of us do not go to places where we're not welcome. In fact, we avoid such places at all costs, but not our Lord. He came into this world, a world that hated him, despised him, and that ultimately put him to death. Secondly, Christ's coming into the world was a humiliation in light of the nature he assumed. When Christ came into the world, he did not take upon himself the nature of angels. That in itself would have been a humiliation, but not as great as taking upon himself a human nature. And that's because although they are creatures, angels are the highest of all creatures. They are endowed with extraordinary wisdom and understanding and power. What is more, they're sinless. And as such, they more perfectly reflect who God is. But Christ did not take upon himself the nature of angels. He took on him our flesh and blood. And what is more, he did not take upon himself our nature in its pre-fallen state. That too would have been a humiliation in itself. But he took upon himself our nature in its fallen state. Paul says as much in Romans 8 verse 3. He writes that he that is Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that Christ was sinful. He most certainly was not. He was completely without sin. He was holy from the moment of his conception. Paul simply means here that the human nature which he assumed was affected by the effects of the fall. Consequently, all the time that he lived on this earth, Christ experienced things like hunger and thirst and weariness and pain and sickness, even death. The Puritan John Flavel once wrote, he came as near to sin 
as his holiness could admit, while at the same time he remained without sin. Now, what a humiliation this was. It would have been enough of a humiliation for Christ to assume our human nature before the fall because he is infinite God. And for infinite God to become finite man is in itself a humiliation. But he went further than that. He assumed the flesh and blood of sinners. Thirdly, the coming of Christ into the world was a humiliation in light of the circumstances of his birth. Consider, first of all, his parents. Who were Jesus' parents? Well, they were not members of the royal family. They were not even from the upper classes. Joseph was a humble carpenter. His mother was a young woman of no significance. And what's more, they were from Nazareth in Galilee, the least important place in the least important and even derided region of Palestine. Consider, too, his nursery. Where was Jesus born? Not in a palace in Jerusalem, not in a temple, not even in a house. He was born in a dirty, smelly stable, or perhaps even outdoors. And he was laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. And Luke tells us the reason for this, because there was no room for them in the inn. Consider, too, his first visitors. Who were the first people to visit the Lord Jesus after he was born? Well, it wasn't Caesar Augustus. It wasn't Quirinius the governor. It wasn't Herod the king. It wasn't the high priest in Jerusalem. It wasn't even the scribes and the Pharisees. His first visitors were poor, lowly, despised shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night. This, too, was a great humiliation. Fourthly, the coming of Christ into the world was a humiliation in light of the separation that this involved. From all eternity, Christ was in the bosom of the Father, as we have said. He was the apple of his eye. He was daily his delight. And the Son was always rejoicing before him. But when Christ became a man, this came to an end. Although Christ was still ununited to his Father, there was also a separation. The Father was not present with him in the same way as he was present with him in eternity. Eventually, he even removed himself completely from him. It was when our Lord was hanging on the cross in those three hours of darkness, and when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, this too was a great humiliation. Fifthly, the coming of Christ into the world was a humiliation in light of the life that he lived. Christ's sojourn on earth was anything but pleasant. For one thing, he was poor all of his life. As we've seen, his first nursery was a stable. His first bed was a manger. Later, when Jesus became a man, he said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And by that he meant to say he had no home. He was utterly dependent on the charity of others for his survival. And when he died, the only thing he had that was of any value was his cloak for which the soldiers cast lots. 
But what made his life especially unpleasant was the constant attacks of the religious leaders of the Jews. Oh, how they hated him. They constantly sought to trap him in his words so that they might have something to accuse him of. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They called him names, especially at his trial, where they spat upon him and derided him and beat him with their fists. And in the end, they demanded that he be crucified, which he was. And this, too, was a humiliation. And so the coming of Christ into the world was a deep humiliation. So why did he do it? What was the gracious purpose of this coming? That brings us to our second point. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world for a specific purpose. And what was that purpose? Well, there are some who say that he came into this world to set before us an example of love and self-sacrifice. And to be sure, in his life and especially in his death, the Lord Jesus did set before us an example of love and self-sacrifice, but that's not why he came into the world. Others say he came into the world in order to teach us some good moral principles to live by. Now again, Jesus did teach us good principles by which to live. But that's also not the reason why he came into this world. Why then did he come? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in our text, listen again. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There you have it. This is the reason why Christ came into the world. It was to save sinners. Now the key word here is the verb to save. Christ came into the world in order to save he didn't come in order to help or even enable sinners to save themselves, for that's impossible. We cannot save ourselves because we're sinners. But he came in order to save. He came so that he might save. Now this raises two questions. First of all, what did he come to save us from? Well, the answer is simply this. He came to save us from sin. Specifically, he came to save from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty for sin? It's death. And God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said to him that the day he ate thereof, he would surely die. And in Romans 6, verse 23, Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. The one who sins against God must die. Not just physically, but also spiritually. Christ came to save his people from that penalty. He came to pay this penalty, the penalty of death. And he did that by dying himself. And he died not just any ordinary death. He died the most painful, the most humiliating, the most cursed death imaginable. He died on the cross. And he did this in the place of, in the stead of his people. He died so that they would not have to. And in so doing, he paid the penalty for their sin. He also came to save from the power of sin. When we fell in Adam, 
we came under the power of sin. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think even is defiled by sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. We are slaves of sin by nature. Sin is our taskmaster. We can no more escape the tyranny of sin than a slave can break his own chains. Well, Christ came to save his people from this power. And he did that not by his death, but by his life. Christ, you see, lived a perfect life all the time that he lived on this earth. He never sinned, not once. Not in his thoughts, his words, or his deeds. And in so doing, he earned for his people the righteousness that they need in order to stand before God and live. And the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment we trust in him as our only hope and ground of salvation, Christ imputes, he transfers his righteousness to us so that we stand before God as though we had never sinned. This is what Christ came to do. He came to save. The second question that this raises is, who did he come to save? Paul answers that question as well. He tells us, sinners. Now in New Testament times, the word sinners was a highly pejorative word. The Pharisees used it to refer to anyone who was not like them. People who did not observe the laws and the traditions of the elders the way that they did. Such people, they said, were sinners. And as such, they would have nothing whatsoever to do with them. And if Jesus really was the Son of God, they didn't think he should have anything to do with them either. In fact, they were appalled when Jesus sat down to eat with publicans and sinners. And they called him derisively the friend of publicans and sinners. But now here's the Apostle Paul, a former Pharisee himself, telling us that it was precisely for such sinners that Jesus came to save. People who knew they did not measure up. People who knew they could not stand before God as they were. The outcasts, the riffraff, the scum of society. And this is underscored by the fact that in the original Greek, this word appears in the emphatic position. So literally what Paul writes here is, Christ Jesus came into the world sinners to save. Yes, Christ came to save sinners. And to emphasize that even further, Paul adds, of whom I am chief. In the original Greek, all of the emphasis falls on the word I. So literally, Paul writes, chief of whom am I? One translation puts it like this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Now, why did Paul say that about himself? On what basis did he regard himself as the chief of sinners? Well, on the basis of the fact that he persecuted the church of Christ. He says as much a little later on in verse 13. Thereafter, thanking Jesus for calling him into the ministry, Paul describes what he was like before his conversion to Christ. He writes that he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. And so he was. Now, to be sure, after the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he repented of his sin. And he even became a great preacher of the gospel. But the damage had been done. He had persecuted the church of Christ. This is why he was going to Damascus in the first place. He came with letters from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to arrest anybody who confessed the name of Christ. 
and to bring them bound to Jerusalem for trial. He persecuted the church of Christ. And for that reason, he called himself the chief of sinners. You notice, he doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners. He says, I am the chief of sinners. Even now, years after his conversion, Paul deeply regretted his past. He still saw himself as the chief of sinners and not worthy to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet, it was for such sinners, even the chief of sinners like Paul, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Oh, do you see the point here? The point is, if Christ came to save sinners like Paul, a man who persecuted the church of Christ, then he came to save anyone. No matter who you are or what you've done, Christ Christ Jesus is able and also willing to save. This is the wonderful news of Christmas, of the coming of Christ into the world. He is willing to save sinners. So let me ask you today, are you a sinner? I didn't ask whether you were a great sinner. I didn't ask whether you were a convicted sinner or a repentant sinner. I asked if you're a sinner, full stop. If you're a sinner, then I have good news for you. The best news in the entire world, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you. But dear friends, this salvation is not given automatically and indiscriminately. In order to be saved, we must come to Christ. And we must come just as we are with all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. We must come confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, humbly asking God to forgive our sins, looking in faith to Christ, who is the only Savior from sin, and looking to His atoning work on the cross as the only hope and ground of our salvation. Oh, my friend, have you done that? Have you come to Christ? And are you striving to live a holy life out of gratitude for all that Jesus Christ has done for sinners like you and like me. Oh, do not delay. You do not know what tomorrow may bring. Seek the Lord, the Bible says, while he may be found. Repent and believe while you are still in the day of grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me allow Let me close with just a few concluding thoughts. First of all, if Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then how terrible is our sin? It is so terrible that it demanded nothing less than the incarnation and suffering and death of the Holy Son of God. Secondly, if Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then how great is the love of Christ for sinners? It is so great that he was willing to assume our flesh and blood and even to suffer his blessed body to be nailed to the cross so that we might be saved. Thirdly, if Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then how we should proclaim this news to all around us. Everyone loves to hear good news. This is the best news ever. In fact, unless people hear this news and respond to it in faith and repentance, they will not be saved. They will perish in hell. And if we truly loved our neighbor as ourselves, we will proclaim this news to all who will hear it. Dear friends, there are many faithful sayings, sayings that we would do well to heed, but the saying of our text supersedes them all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you love that saying? Is it music in your ears? It should be. For here there is hope, hope for sinners, hope for eternity. Amen. 
Dear friends, it's a great joy to be able to preach to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.